When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Need to Know. Real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart. From the US, Bryce Zabel. Hello and welcome to Need to Know. I'm Ross Coulthard from somewhere near Sydney, Australia, and in Los Angeles, my co-host and colleague, Bryce Zabel. You've been swanning it recently, oh. Bryce, in the uh, Emmy Awards, I noticed. Lots of little oh. glasses with umbrellas in them. I mean, if, well, thank you for that. It's been a fun time. You know, here in Southern California, we've been going through the extreme heat wave, and, it, um, and it's been something to to contend with right now, for example, it's so freaking hot and I'm in my own office right now with, and the AC broke yesterday. So th there's just one thing after another, but I wanted to say, um, you're so right. Uh, the Emmy season has been upon us for the last 10 days. And, um, as, as, as you know, and, and many of the listeners and viewers know, I used to be the chairman of the TV Academy and I did not know at the time I ran for that position. I became the first writer since Rod Serling to hold the, the job. I didn't know that you got lifetime tickets to the Emmys. So I've been going to the Emmys every year. I go to the Creative Arts Emmys, the Primetime Emmys, the parties. And uh, I don't want to complain. Uh, it's great food, good fun, good entertainment, good people, but it's a lot. But, mate, the, the one thing I feel sorry for you about, because I was in Los Angeles, as you know, only a few weeks ago, is having to wear a penguin suit in that incredible Los Angeles heat. If I was oh. you, I'd be wearing what some of the women have been wearing, a nice slinky little silk number. Uh, well, I don't think I would. Thank you for that. However, I don't think I would look as good in a slinky little silk number. I'll tell you the one thing about the tuxedo. Uh, what do you call that? A, a penguin, a penguin suit? suit? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well... Uh, you're closer to Antarctica than I am, so that would make sense, I guess. Um, I tell you, when it's a black suit and it's 100 degrees out and you're you're walking through the heat, at least nobody can see you sweat that much. So it's it's got its advantages. Now, the thing I, I, I think it's actually pertinent that you ran the Emmys, Bryce, right. because one of the things you learned was you were running the Emmys during the crisis in 9-11, weren't you? The, right. The 2001 dreadful terrorist attack on America. And you learned a fair bit, didn't you, about crisis and disclosure, how to handle the press? I thought it was an interest. It's I, without a doubt, it was the most interesting time in my life. Uh, I got elected a couple of weeks before 9-11 hit. And so the very first thing we had to do is cancel the Emmys, which were scheduled for September 16th. So we did. Then we rescheduled them for October 7th. And on that morning, the U.S. invaded Afghanistan 
and nobody wanted to come. So we canceled them a second time. And then we put them on the third time against uh, the seventh game of an exciting World Series. It was really something. But I do think it has some lessons uh, about disclosure because it's uh, an official act to sort of reach out and brief people. I was sort of the briefer in chief. And, and oddly, because uh, the Emmys uh, sort of represented Hollywood, people were looking for us to show that we got it. And so we had to really calibrate our messages. One of the things that I came away from very strongly, I've always believed in transparency, but I certainly believed in transparency when it comes to important issues. People don't want to be messed with. Uh, they don't care what the truth is exactly. Uh, they may have preferences, but they want to hear the truth. And so we never uh, we never tried to make it anything other than it was. It was a serious situation. We had snipers on the roof. Um, but I'll tell you the one thing uh, that also mattered, which is kind of interesting, is to get your message so that everybody gets on the same page quickly. And so sometimes that involves just saying, well, what's the simplest way to say something? So for example, on the safety issue, I started saying to people, you'll be safer in your own bath. Uh, you'll be safer at the Emmys than you will be in your own bathtub, uh, which was statistically true. And I think the lessons for disclosure are uh, you just get on with it. Uh, you try to be honest with people. You know, it's not going to go perfect every day. You're going to reassess the situation. Uh, and yet the world has to go on. And that's that's what I think is uh, the message for disclosure. And I look forward when we do a new show that's all about disclosure. Uh, there's some deeper lessons and we'll talk about some of those at that time. It's funny, though, you know, because one of the the best segue from what you've just said there about the need to be transparent and the need to be open is that, frankly, I think the Navy's decision to refuse uh, John Greenwald of the Black Vault, the release of the other redacted videos, the, the sorry, the censored videos that are still being held inside government and inside the Pentagon. These are videos that have been seen by members of Congress, senators, rep, uh, representatives, which have been shown in private skiffs, private hearings. And in a great bit of work, John Greenwald from the Black Vault tried to obtain those videos because they've been widely talked about, they've been widely acknowledged, and not un, unlegitimately, illegitimately, you know, the argument is if it was okay to release the GoFast, the Tic Tac, and uh, the Gimbal, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they were fully unredacted when they were released, why can't they release the rest of them? And the Pentagon, the US Navy, has come back with an excuse that, frankly... I think deserves a blowtorch. It needs a hypersonic missile, basically, yeah. because frankly, I, I just do not buy the explanation that uh, for some reason the US Navy needs to protect sources, methods, capabilities um, in, in order to, you know, if it releases these videos, it would somehow compromise national security. And I, I think if you're talking about transparency, if you're talking about the fact that people are now openly talking about the fact that there is a phenomenon that is not explicable, that is not capable of explanation, that cannot be prosaically explained, that is doing weird things in our skies, that is a threat to national security and flight safety, it's a very bad lesson for disclosure that the US Navy, oh. who I've previously been very kind to, has basically uh, decided to gag and censor. Then at the very least, we need more explanation. Don't you agree? Well, I, I, I do a couple of thoughts uh, on the issue of redaction. Uh, it, 
I mean, I, I, it depends on how you define redaction. Those first three videos that came out were awfully short. I mean, they're tiny, tiny pieces of longer videos. So in that sense, I would argue they were redacted. Um, we're certainly looking forward. Uh, let's put it this way. One, there, there's rumors of a 20-minute, 23-minute video that's blowing minds in the halls of Congress when people were showing it in skiffs and so forth. Frankly, one great video is going to change the entire game. And I think the people um, in Washington who care about such things probably know that. Uh, I was as shocked as you were to see the Navy on the wrong side of transparency because ever since we've been doing this podcast, uh, one thing has been clear. It's been the Air Force that historically had to deal with the UFO issue and didn't do a good job of it because they kept denying it, denying it, denying it. And now it looked like we were in for a new period of openness with the Navy. And I was really welcoming that because uh, they seem to have the best interests of transparency and, and disclosure, uh, however they were going to do it. So I'm a little disappointed. I'm more than a I'm little disappointed. Little, I'm, I'm yeah. more than a little, Bryce. I think yeah. this is something that has to be fought. I, yeah. I, 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 it's funny. I, Mick West took a swipe at me, basically saying, oh, yes, we need to roll over and meekly accept the assurances from the national security establishment that, you know, there's a good national security reason why we yeah. shouldn't reveal these these uh, these videos. Yeah. And frankly, I just think that's bullshit, and I'm calling on that. Yeah. I, I, I think it's time to start getting aggressive. People need to start writing their congressional representatives. They need to be shaking the cage because we're at a very, very vulnerable time now. Uh, we've got the um, uh, appropriations, defence appropriations legislation, which has got the key sections in that bill that would allow whistleblowers to be deposed in hearings before the Congress with protections and immunities to stop them from being bullied or threatened or, or prosecuted because they've breached their NDAs revealing UFO, UAP secrets. So the Congress is debating that at the moment. And as I know from my recent visit to America and Washington, D.C., you know, there are people in the Congress who are well disposed to ask hard questions and to get these issues answered. But they're not going to keep that momentum going unless people rattle the cage. And frankly, I, I mean, we, we had those two dweebs from the intelligence services back mm. in May who came before the Congress and gave a complete wet lettuce explanation that endeavoured to suggest to the Congress that whatever these objects were, don't you worry your tiny little heads about it. They're probably Chinese drones. And as you and I discussed in the last podcast, that's a load of bollocks. Um, you know, there, there, there really is, I think, the beginning of an attempt by the Navy, which I've previously been quite supportive of, because a lot of the push for more openness and transparency on this issue has come from the US Navy. But it is crushingly disappointing to see the US Navy's representatives, both in the Congress, but also in their answers to John Greenwald, giving an explanation that frankly is implausible. If it was okay to release the Tic Tac, the Gimbal and the GoFast, it's okay to at least consider releasing part some or all of the videos well, that are still before the Congress in skiffs. I think one thing we should clear up right away, though, is, okay, what if they do have those hearings, but those hearings are private, right? What if those hearings are behind closed doors and are secure hearings? I think a lot of people are very interested in public hearings. They would like to know uh, something. And, and also, I am continually 
not happy with the idea that we define the terms here as if we have to disclose everything at all at once. What I think people are basically expecting the U.S. government and other governments around the world on this globe to do is to confirm that this thing is real and we have to look into it and that they're going to start going through what they've got and share it with people. People want to know what is happening. We understand classification. I think everybody can, can realize that there are times when sources and methods, for example, are uh, up in the air and, and, and need to be protected in a very dangerous world. But that doesn't mean you hide the essential confirmation that we're not alone. If indeed the US government and other governments are convinced that we're not alone, why they don't share that with us seems to be uh, the thing that really riles me. So I, I, I just wanted to pick your brain on this. I know we both have our different sources. What are your sources telling you about whether these are whether we're going to see public hearings in 2023? Well, the, 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 the feedback that I've got is very much that there is no plausible reason to not release some or all of these videos, at least in a redacted form. You know, I mean, sure, by all means, if you're filming from the, the cockpit of an FA-18 fighter, you don't want to show a potential adversary the uh, the weapons readout or the systems right. readout that shows how well an AppFleur imaging system can detect an object from 20 miles away. <laughs> Appreciate, you know, you don't want to I... reveal capabilities and methods. But I have a strong suspicion, and unfortunately, the Navy's conduct in this whole area is leading people to this perception, whether it's true or not, by gagging the release of any of these videos by putting a blanket refusal on the release of any of these videos, all the US Navy is doing is fueling the perception that it is trying to conceal from the public that there is an extraordinary explanation for what these objects are. I do not buy the sources, capabilities and methods explanation, no. the idea that it would breach national security. Hence, we have to stop the release of every single video. I've spoken to congressmen, senators, and I've spoken to their staffers. None of them have suggested to me that these videos cannot or should not be released. Let me just throw one thing in there, though. I'll just also respond to what you just said earlier, which is right. private hearings. I also think that um, it's inevitable that there are going to be private hearings. I, I, I think that the first section of hearings would, would have to be private. Um, Frankly, I, I think it's important. You know, we, we, do, we do need re to respect national security concerns. There does need, if the implications of this are as awesome as we suspect they are, then it does need to be discussed in private hearing. But the notion that there won't, after that, be public hearings where a version of what's being said can be revealed for public analysis and scrutiny is absurd. Yeah. Well, it is absurd. Let me just, the, the thing I was just going to throw in there is I don't care about seeing the dials inside the FA-18, okay? I'm not demanding my government disclose what the cockpit of our super secret or top aircraft look like. I want to see the craft that those dials are revealing. And if they have images of craft, I don't see how showing us the images of even just one of them and just saying, yep, here's an example of what we don't know where it comes from or what it is, and we were looking into it. Or if they have looked into it, I'd like to know uh, what they think about it. Interesting, you, we were talking about government here. Uh, you know, we do 
polls here at Need to Know once in a while on our on our Twitter feed. And we just did one a few days ago where we asked people, uh, what person in the U.S. Congress do they think has been the most effective on the UAP issue? And we got over a thousand votes on this one, Ross. And it was kind of interesting. It was a blowout. There were They only give you four options in a Twitter poll. So we could have put everybody in, but we couldn't. We had to pick four. So we picked uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Tim Burchett, uh, Marco Rubio, and Andre Carson. Okay. And it was a complete blowout. Gillibrand was 73%. I mean, that's like landslide plus territory. Burchett was number two with 14%. Rubio, 10%. And what's interesting to me is you were talking about that limp uh, hearing that they had on May 17th uh, of this year, which was put together by Andre Carson. For a while, people were like, hey, man, maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the guy that's going to do this. And he put together such a a limp um, hearing. He got 3% in our poll. He suffered in this one. So listen, um, while I do agree with you um, that we're going to have to uh, respect some security issues, uh, I hope that they rapidly get to the public hearings because people are, are ready to hear about that. Okay, well, let's help, help, let's help our audience with the timetable for that, because yeah. I know there's been discussion that the NDAA, the National uh, Defence Authorizations Act, um, might be passed, or at least the sections pertaining to whistleblowers for the UAPs issue might be passed earlier uh, than we expected. But I suspect it won't be nailed down until the end of December, like it was last year, right. the NDAA laws. And that's the appropriations for the Defence Department for the following year. And... I think it's almost inevitable from what people are telling me that we've still got the um, January 6 hearings dragging on. Uh, We've got the upcoming um, midterm elections. So I think there are a few distractions that are going to make it very hard for hearings of any substance to be held until sometime next year. But I reckon you can expect that early next year, you're going to start hearing about private hearings on the Hill. I mean, I'm told there have already been quite a number of private hearings that have taken place inside the Congress in secure rooms where certain senators and congressional representatives have already heard evidence, particularly from military personnel. And that's what's emboldened them to go harder. But Bryce, there's one other issue that I wanted to discuss with you, which of course is the relevance of the month of October. There's an issue coming up for Americans and the relevance of UAPs in the next month, October. Yeah, October is a big month. It could be a game changer. Let me explain. Uh, when the National Defense Authorization Act that you were just talking about that has very powerful immunity and witness protection language in this year's version, last year demanded that a yearly annual report on UAP be delivered no later than October 31st of every year. Um, to me, that means it'll come in on October 31st because the last one was due on June 25th and that's when it came in. So they're going to take probably, they're like a college student. They're going to take all the time that they need to get that paper and then they're going to turn it in at the last minute. Okay, what could be in it? Well, okay, remember the last one said that these things are real. Uh, we probably don't make them and we don't think Russia or China make, makes them. So we're going to have to advance from that. 
let me back up. Here in the United States, our midterms are happening uh, on November 8th. Uh, those are the midterm elections, all of Congress, a third of the Senate, all of the House, many governors, everybody up for election. There's a concept we call uh, in the United States of the October surprise, which is some big news event that happens the month before the election and then affects the election. Well, okay. Our midterm elections, November 8th, the, the new report supposedly coming out October 31st, man, that is the ultimate possibility for an October surprise. Because if this new report does advance the conversation in any meaningful way from the last one, then at least somebody's going to be talking about it. What about these uh, these Congress people that we just talked about? Uh, you don't think Gillibrand and, and Burchett and Rubio and all are going to have uh, things to say about it. And Rubio, by the way, is in a really tough re-election battle in Florida. So in the final week of, of his campaign, a guy who's been outspoken on the UAP issue is going to have a UAP report uh, being dumped around the country. So, I mean, I don't know what it's going to say, but I know that it has the definite possibility of doing something that we just never see happen. UFOs slash UAP almost never make it into the election. And when they do, it's an afterthought. Uh, you know, when Dennis Kucinich ran uh, for president and admitted he saw a UFO, everybody made fun of him. That was it. This is different. This has the possibility of being perceived as a national security issue. And as a national security issue, it has reason for reporters and people in the media to talk to these politicians and say, what's your take on this? So I don't know. I'm not saying we're going to have a blowout here. I'm saying it's possible because we literally don't know what's going to be in that report. But I'll say one final thought on it, Ross. It's going to tell people like you and me something because either it advances the conversation where that last one was or it retreats. If it retreats, that is the best evidence possible that people are trying to put the genie back in the bottle. Okay, but there's one positive bit of light that came out, and this was in an addendum to the Intelligence Authorization Act for the fiscal year 2023. And Congress has made two quite astonishing claims in that legislation. The first is, quote, cross-domain transmedium threats to the United States national security are expanding exponentially. That's a big claim. And the second is that Congress is now distinguishing between UFOs, UAPs, that are human in origin and those that are not. Quote, temporary non-attributed objects or those that are positively identified as man-made after analysis will be passed to appropriate officers and should not be considered under the definition as unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena, the document says. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. One thing about our show on our show we try we we want to be everything to everybody i guess we want to be a show that if you know something about this topic you can still enjoy watching us and 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 joining in on the conversation but if you're just coming to it we want to be able to help bring people into it so what i want to point out about what ross just said is we didn't make this stuff up folks this is from the u.s government in their uh, and our representatives in their official works 
And I just have to say this again. I hope I get it right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Cross-domain transmedium threats are expanding exponentially. So break that down. Let's cross-domain. What does cross-domain mean? And that means going from water to sea, from well, sea that's transmedia. That's transmedium, right? From space to atmosphere to sea. Is that oh, also okay. cross domain? No, I hadn't meaning? picked that up. Cross domain. Yeah, maybe because I'm told they're seeing these things now in the Middle East as well. It's no yeah. See, that's what I thought. That, that's what. Okay, so let's just break this down. Cross domain probably means where they're being seen in in terms of uh, spheres of battle. Point. Okay. Yeah. Transmedium means from space to atmosphere to ocean or from ocean to atmosphere, things that we don't really build craft to do. And then threats expanding exponentially. I mean, damn it. That is some serious talk from people that got elected to go to Washington, D.C. And, and make laws. And they're now talking about it openly. And at, at the very least, we should just underline this and put it in bold and italics. It didn't used to be this way. For the last 75 years, basically, or at least, yeah, 75 years, the U.S. government, when it spoke officially about UFOs, was to act like there wasn't a lot going on and that uh, people that saw them or reported them it might add a little screw loose there. They're not saying that anymore. Things have changed. They sure have. You know, it's funny because, I mean, I, I guess the takeaway from that is that essentially Congress now seems to be specifically distinguishing between objects that are human made and objects that aren't. Yeah. Oh, no, that was the it, other it, part of it. It's like, yeah. And, if, and, and, if, and it, it also appears to be contemplating the possibility that these objects are constructed but they're not built by humans. Well, let me put it this way. If you're creating precise language for to go into a law and you're not worried about things that aren't human, you don't really have to make a big declaration about things that are made by humans and things that aren't. Yeah. I mean, that's a distinction I don't tend to make in my everyday conversation with people. So when you see that in there, you have to at least tell yourself that was said for a reason. Hey, I want to. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, there's a guy. There's a guy. A really good article, actually, by the way, in Vice that I would refer people to, and they were following up very much on uh, groundbreaking work that was done by the UFO researcher Doug Johnson. But in in the course of that Vice article, there's a quote from Marik von Renemkamp, who was an Obama DoD official. And he's quoted as saying that the implications of these new bits of law are this implies that members of the Senate Intelligence Committee believe on a unanimous bipartisan basis that some UFOs have non-human origins. After all, why would Congress establish and task a powerful new office with investigating non-man-made UFOs if such objects did not exist. <laughs> I, I, it, it blows my mind. So that's the thing. If 2023 isn't a big year coming up, I don't know why it's not. I mean, the things are all set up and, and teed up. And, and I know you have some thoughts about it. I wanted to just drop one other poll that we took because I find this stuff kind of interesting. I'm not saying our polls describe all of America or all of the world. They're a slice of UFO activists uh, that we 
get a chance to look at on Twitter. We asked them recently in a second poll, did they think 2023 was going to be sizzle or fizzle when it came to uh, UAP disclosure and openness? And here's what's interesting. We have an almost dead heat, about 40 percent uh, for people who think it's going to be sizzling and lots of things are going to be popping and 40% say it's going to be a fizzle and it's not going to amount to anything like it ought to and about 20% undecided. Now, what that tells me, Ross, that I find fascinating is even among the UAP slash UFO crowd who knows about these things, they are evenly and deeply divided on whether they think things are going in the right direction or the wrong direction. And I find that interesting because we're all looking at the same set of facts, right? I mean, the, we all we all read these articles, we listen to our, you know, people's podcasts, we hang on the words of people from DC, and yet we have an, a, a complete split down the middle about whether it's gonna be a big year or not so much. And meanwhile, UFO Twitter starts to self-immolate and tear itself apart. I've, I, I think this is one thing we need to talk about. Maybe. Yes, we it's do. Go ahead, the, take it. It's just friend. the incredible uh, goings-on on UFO Twitter at the moment, where for some reason people have eaten a bit too much red meat and decided to take a swipe at Lou Elizondo in particular. Um, let, let me give you my take, if you like, on what's going on. There's I been want a... you to hold for just one second, though. Just one second. Let's set this thing up about Lou Elizondo. Because, again, not everyone knows everything about everything. Lou Elizondo sure. is the person who ran the UFO group for the United States until 2017. And he resigned to try to take his story to the public. And he's been a lightning rod of controversy, but he's also been the guy that was on 60 Minutes and about, oh, 10,000 podcasts uh, expressing his opinions about things. And he's he's been enormously controversial. So we can't really say he's just crossed the threshold into controversy. He's very controversial. So having set that up, he also had a hell of a week. So take it away. Sure. I'm not going to single out individuals because it's pointless because I don't, frankly, I don't want to buy into the the, the nastiness and the infighting. But uh, the thing that I think a lot of people have been doing is picking out inconsistencies or uh, issues that need to be checked with Elizondo, particularly about the status of the work that he was doing for the Pentagon's UAP investigation program. Uh, either under the moniker ATIP, A-A-T-I-P, or ORSAP, A-A-W-S-A-P. Um, basically, there's no doubt, because Harry Reid, the senator, has now, uh, before he passed, put it into a letter, Lou did run some kind of UFO, UAP investigation program in the Pentagon. But there's a section of UFO Twitter that is tearing itself apart ascribing all manner of sinister motives to Elizondo because he's basically uh, made claims that the Pentagon disputes. I noticed Susan Goff, the um, Pentagon PR woman, has on occasion disputed Lou Elizondo's claims to be the, the head of ATIP or the director of ATIP. And more importantly, I, I actually think there's one inconsistency that I do think Lou needs to explain, and I suspect at some stage he will, which is, in his various tweets, he has asserted that he never had anything to do with ORSAP, which is the apparently the real name for the, the program that was uh, farmed out by the DIA to Bob Bigelow's um, BAS, uh, Bigelow Aerospace Company, uh, to do the UAP and indeed paranormal investigations that they all did. But 
frankly, there is an inconsistency because Lou, in his Inspector General complaint, and a few people have quite legitimately pointed this out, he has uh, said that um, he's acknowledged that he did have something to do with ORSAP and that um, you know he was connected to ORSAP. So there's a there's a contradiction there that he needs to explain. Now, a lot of people have seized on that and other inconsistencies in Lou's account. And they've also seized on the fact that he's a, a counterintelligence agent, a counterintelligence officer, to suggest that what's happening here is that he's essentially some dark agent of the US government pushing a threat agenda to justify military expenditure, to justify a huge amount of money going to Space Force. Now, my personal take on this is, yes, we should always be sceptical when somebody who still has, by the way, a national security classification with compartmentalised security clearances, we should always be sceptical when somebody is purporting to be a whistleblower, but yet still enjoys their security classification. And it's good to be sceptical. I, I would hope that Lou would hope that we're sceptical. But I think for people to immediately seize on those inconsistencies and start character assassinating him and suggesting that he's some kind of dark Voldemort lord who's coordinating a disinformation campaign against UFO Twitter, against the whole push for transparency and that we're all being manipulated in some kind of dark counterintelligence operation, show me the evidence. I, well, I don't see the evidence from what's being presented. What's your take? Well, we can't call him Voldemort, Voldemort because that's the guy who cannot be named. And it, the one name everybody seems to know is Lou Elizondo. He is synonymous with sort of a current UFO uh, uh, discussion. Here's what I find odd about this thing. If the knock on Lou Elizondo is currently that, well, because he works for Space Force as a consultant or whatever he's doing for them, if that proves that he's a tool of the government, then that would mean somebody in government has pushed him out and said, okay, Lou, we want you to go on those 10,000 podcasts in 60 minutes, and we want you to tell everybody that UFOs are real and that uh, we've got great evidence of them and that we think there's been crash wreckage and everything else. I find that, well, I mean, okay, let's say that that's actually true. Well, then that means the government is pushing a disclosure agenda and they're doing it in their own way, but, but they are pushing it. So I find that a little odd. Now, I will say, though, that anybody who's in, the public, in public life uh, it knows that they're going to be looked at and looked into. Um, I, I heard a podcast with uh, John Greenwald the other day uh, where he was taking the um, complaint that uh, Lou Elizondo had filed with the inspector general and going over a redacted version of it. Listen, I thought his he was a calm and fair presence uh, going through it, and I think it's perfectly okay. I mean, maybe Lou Elizondo should go on his show and talk about it. Maybe he should come back on here and we'll talk about it. Uh, what do I think, though? I find the guy to be fairly compelling. I find him to sound like a guy that's uh, pretty much knows what he's talking about. And uh, I also, at the same time, though, find that he's reached the end of his rope. He's a little thin-skinned these days about the, the attacks. And I don't blame him, because you and I have talked about it, too. People say bad things about either of us when they see watch one of these things. They leave a bad comment. It does kind of get under your skin, and it makes you angry. And Lou has, has fired back a few times, which I think is totally his right to do it. Um, it is interesting, though, that he literally wrote an article for Liberation Times last week uh, that was called um, you, you Follow Me Should Die. 
Ufology oh, must, die. must die. It does sound like Voldemort. Ufology must die. <laughs> now, here's what's funny about it, because on that same day, I, I literally heard from uh, Lou's wife that um, they had watched a video that you and I had had produced for this channel that was called, oddly enough, a profane rant about modern ufology. And they thought it was very funny. And uh, first of all, that made my day that you, Lou Elizondo was watching this thing. But um, if people want to see that and get a sense of the frustration level some people have had with ufology, go to needtoknow.today, which is our website, and it's posted on there on the main page. And you can, you can also look at that. But I don't know, Ross, I want to ask you the same question, though. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you've talked to many thousands of people in your career. I've talked to many thousands myself. And I remember uh, thinking to myself quite often that it made me a pretty good judge of character, that I could look at a person and, and, and hear what they said. And I'd been lied to my face to by experts over my journalistic career. I'm sure you have too. So you talk to Lou Elizondo, man to man, eye to eye. What's your take? Okay. Just because Lou is a spook, a trained counterintelligence officer, doesn't make me innately skeptical of everything he says. Um, one of the difficulties that I have as a journalist, and I'm sure you have the same issue, is a lot of the perception that I have of Lou Elizondo is coloured by what I know privately from people who've spoken to me in either the defence or the intelligence community or in the Congress. And I can tell you he's held an extremely high regard. Um, nobody is telling me that we should have uh, a disbelief of what he says because there are, and there are, as John Greenwald's pointed out, there are inconsistencies that Lou needs to explain about why he said different things about whether or not he had a role with ORSAP. But frankly, do you hang a guy on the evidence of a few inconsistencies no. in documents? I don't. No. And, and one, one of the things that one of the things that I'm used to as a journalist is I talk to spies and defense officials all the time. It's my job. And often they spin you. I mean, I, I can remember right back at the time of the Iraq war, there were people in Australia's defense intelligence establishment who were genuinely concerned that we were going to war on some very specious evidence. And a lot of that evidence was coming through Australia. You know, we were quite heavily involved in helping our American ally. And I wish, I wish I'd picked up more on what those people were indicating, but it just seemed so fringe and there seemed such certainty that there was a legitimate reason to evade, invade Iraq. And we were misled. And, and so well, disinformation does happen. It does. And Lou is an interesting case because there's really just two possibilities. One is he is exactly what he said he was. He, he ran the program. He got fed up. He left so he could really be a truth teller. All right. In which case then... <laughs> He's saying some pretty astounding things as the truth that he had to tell by leaving government or option two, he still got relations with government. And this truth that he's telling is one that they want him to tell, which is also supremely strange. So well, I'm sure I'm sure there is a faction and I know this. I know that there is a faction in the defense and intelligence community who are right behind Lou. Yeah. The, quest, the question is, which faction will dominate? 
And, and, and Brian Bender made this point this week that a lot of people who don't understand, who don't report on national security and defence, they tend to see the national security establishment as one big amorphous blob. Yeah. The, re- the reality is that the defence and intelligence establishment is as snipey and as bitchy as UFO Twitter. They're all shafting each other. All of these agencies, the NSA, the CIA, the DIA, they're all trying to undo each other the whole time. They spend more time, like in my my career, when I wasn't working for Australia's 60 Minutes, but I was working for other programs in the same network, we would do our level best to screw them over and make it as difficult as possible for them. You know, there's a rivalry that takes place in organisations. And I think this is happening in national security and defence. And so I'm not surprised at all that there are people inside the national security establishment who who are telling uh, commentators that, you know, you should be sceptical about what Elizondo is saying. But I think we should actually look at what's happened in the last five, six years since the very first inklings that there was beginning to be a degree of transparency and disclosure. Look at how far we have come since 2017. Oh, it's, it's, it's astonishing. You know, I was thinking as you were saying that though, I go, well, we've responded about Lou Elizondo and we've just done five minutes on that. We should actually respond to what he had to say, right? The content of what he said was ufology must die, right? Okay, now everyone who knows Lou thinks he's a pretty hail fellow well met most of the time, right? So he's not Lord Voldemort, yet there he is saying ufology must die. Well, here's my take on ufology must die. First of all, you got to define your terms. What exactly is ufology? If it's just people that are interested in UFOs and, um, and talk to each other on social media, I don't think that can die or should die because I'm part of it and I don't think I should lose my rights to speak. So I'm not 110% sure of what Lou thinks he's suggesting be done. And I was wondering if you have a different take on, on his way of looking at it. I think Elizondo could have been clearer in the medium story, the Liberation Times story that he wrote. I don't think he expressed it very well. I think the broad sentiment that he was expressing, if I can endeavor to um, read between the lines on what he's saying, is that there is a tendency on UFO Twitter to get obsessed with minutiae and lose sight of the big picture. It's becoming very, very unpleasant. I, I actually endorse what Elizondo's sentiments are, which is that it's time for, and I think this is what he meant, I think what he's referring to is that it's time for the field of UAP research to go beyond the fringe. It's yeah. time, it, there, there are people who purport to speak as the gatekeepers for what people should think and say about the phenomenon. And frankly, their time is over. This is yeah. this is a moment where the mainstream media needs to start engaging, where people like you and I can start taking an interest. And I think generally, it's, it's not a question of establishment media taking over and, you know, we'll, we'll look at this and, and give you our assessment. It's where good, thorough, rigorous, well, objective scientific analysis needs to come in. We need to look at data 
we need to actually properly assess sightings reports. There needs to be an attempt to collate information in a responsible and serious way. One of the problems that, that I'm really worried about at the moment is at the very time when Congress is basically deciding whether or not it runs with this ball, you've got UFO Twitter behaving like a bunch of frat kids fighting each other over over you know who gets the credit and who gets the glory. I, I think, frankly, it's a combined effort. And and people need to stop sniping and bitching. Well, lose stop stop worrying about the minutiae and focus on the broad picture. Okay, but uh, I just don't want anyone to get the impression that you know this is some kind of elitist thing. I'm not saying, and I know you're not saying, hey, you know we're responsible people, so we should get to come and talk about it. I think this is a big picture story that affects everybody on the planet. Everybody has a right to talk about it. Now, what's frustrating, and I wish would stop, is when it gets personal. Personal attacks never seem to advance the cause of knowledge. They, they advance the cause of emotion. And right now, we need to get on the same team. I mean, I think one of the things that we should clearly all be thinking about, and I, probably this is the essence of what he was just saying, is Look, if there is another intelligence or intelligences out there that are watching us or paying attention to us or interacting with us, that makes all of us a little more uh, in common than we thought. We're all human beings and we should behave as if we like each other a little bit more. That should go across the board. We, you know, it's like my mom used to say when I would fight with my brother, you guys need to be nicer to each other. And I think that that's probably true. Need to Know continues in a moment. We have a little housekeeping work that you and I need to do. Um, what people need to understand is there's a great uh, hour and 18 minute video that was made uh, with your folks at uh, Channel 7 in Australia with their production help. And uh, I think right now on YouTube, it's close to 800,000 views and on its way to a million. So I think you and I are both deeply uh, thankful to Channel 7 for their assistance in doing that. And also thankful to all the people that, that would watch it. Now, that was also an adjunct to the one-hour uh, documentary that you did that has so far aired only in Australia. So there are a lot of things out there. That each one of us has something that people have sort of glommed onto that we need to explain a little bit more. So I thought I would ask you about your issue, and then you can interview me about my issue, and we sure. can try to set the record straight. Okay. Now, not everyone saw... Uh, the bets ball piece that uh, was in the one hour documentary. So I think you probably do need to give a quick explanation of it. But the main thing people want to know is they felt uh, they, they feel a little at sea that uh, we discussed this and we we went to a guy's house to see this uh, device, but we have not actually updated anybody yet on how it's getting tested. So maybe you can sort of tell us a little bit about what it is and when we might expect information from the uh, testing that Dr. Gary Nolan was uh, leading the charge on. Sure. Okay. Just to explain to our viewers and listeners, um, in a documentary that I made for Channel 7 Australia, which you can view 
uh, I think a lot of people have ripped it off and put it on uh, on the web if you find it. But uh, essentially, we we went to Texas. I, I decided it was time. One of the things that I have copped a lot in the last few years from people is that in my book and also in the films that I've made, I've never addressed people who purport to be victims of abduction encounters with non-human entities. Frankly, I've never known quite what to do with it. And we heard about a guy in Texas called Jim Marlin, who purported to be an abductee, and he still does, by the way. I find him a highly interesting and credible and lovely bloke. Um, and he also claims to be in possession of an object that he believes is of non-human manufacture. And uh, it's uh, very interesting because the metallic sphere that he's in possession of bears an uncanny resemblance to what are known as Betts balls, which are these metallic objects that were discovered by people in and around the United States and since the 1970s. Um, in fact, I've received calls from people all over the world who've seen some of these spheres and a couple of people are actually in possession of them. Now, in terms of where we're at with the testing, basically we took scrapings off the sphere and took those to Professor Gary Nolan at Stanford University. Gary's still doing his tests and um, he has a, a day job, which he has to do. Uh, we're not in a position to be able to pay uh, an enormous amount of money for the kind of testing that right. needs to be done. So we have to wait for the laboratory results to come in from Gary. And as we promised in the story, we will publish those results if and when we get them. Uh, the good news that I've heard from Gary this week is we've been very worried about how you X-ray, how you scan a solid metallic object like this. And we have now apparently found a person who is willing to scan this object with a proper industrial x-ray machine so we may be able to look inside it and get some idea of the contents of the object one of the difficulties that i hadn't actually contemplated is that when you go to an industrial x-ray place and ask them to x-ray something they want to know what's inside it and since, <laughs> and, and since we don't know what's inside it we can't guarantee to them that um, the x-rays yeah. won't interfere with what's inside it so you're saying to them, a, that's a good question uh, that's why we're coming <laughs> to you yeah yeah but i mean a lot of people have given have given me stick for basically even giving credit to the idea that there might be something anomalous about this and just to explain we're not saying that no. What we are doing is we're giving, we're doing what, what frankly, Lou Elizondo is arguing we should be, all be doing, objectively assessing the data. Exactly. And, and, and essentially, what are you suggesting? Are you suggesting that we should just stick our heads in the sand and ignore this issue? No, I think can I just finish this point? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Mack wrote a book about abductions. He wrote a book, John Mack from Harvard University, Professor Harvard wrote a book about abductions and Ralph Blumenthal's done a, a follow-up biography on um, John Mack recently. And even Harvard University was forced to accept that it was legitimate for John Mack as a scientist to investigate the abduction phenomenon. That's all we're doing. And the interesting thing to me about the Marlin case, the sphere, the, the purported bet sphere from Texas, is that he is claiming not only to be someone who's had encounters with extraterrestrial or non-human entities, he's also claiming to be in possession of a sphere that is, he believes, of non-human origin. Let's test it. Yeah. We don't lose anything or gain anything by testing it. Well, we might gain something if it turns out to be alien technology. But, you know, I'm sceptical. 
And yeah. what I'm doing is I'm indulging that curiosity. And frankly, if people want to give us a bollocksing for doing scientific text testing and trying to be objective about it, then fuck them. I don't yeah. give a shit. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I don't... I, I, this is this is what we should be doing. Uh, I, you know, the, the reality is... Um, and, and it's funny because, you know, there's this kind of mockery that takes place. Oh, gosh, Ross is engaging with Ross. this person who believes this phenomenon is real. It doesn't mean I do. No. And what the people, what the critics don't understand is this is what we've got to start doing. And frankly, this is what we will start doing. When you have an American government that is at this very moment acknowledging the possibility that the explanation for this phenomenon is extraterrestrial or alien, when that possibility is being openly canvassed by former directors of the uh, intelligence agencies, um, I think the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, anything is possible. So yes, bugger you, we will be looking at this. And, you know, and frankly, if people do, if people want to take us on about that, then stuff them. I don't give a rat's ass. Russ, you've just opened up a whole new cult art here. This is uh, fascinating to me. Look, you are going to get a lot less uh, shit for the bets ball story than I will for from people who say, why won't Bryce let Ross talk? So, uh, okay. So uh, I'm sure I'll get more comments than you. Listen, here's what I just want to say about what, what you just said, besides my admiration for your artful use of profanity. Um, and that would be, what is this all about? Um, you is there already a party line about what is acceptable or unacceptable to say about UFOs? I think there can't be since nobody knows exactly what they represent. So, yeah, we are going to pursue things and uh, we'll try to do them as uh, legitimately as we can. But the one promise that we're, where we're trying to be a little bit different is we're saying if we raise something, we're not going to let it just die. We're going to report back to you. All right. So. As Ross has just said, at some point, Gary uh, Nolan is going to get back to Ross about this and Ross is going to get back to you people who are listening. And, uh, and and that's the way it's supposed to be. So I guess now, Ross, you have to turn the tables and I've got to do my mea culpa. OK, so let's talk about this in yeah. the story that you and I have put to air on seven Spotlight's digital channel, which anybody can access by going on YouTube and putting in seven Spotlight UFOs, you'll find the one hour, 20 minute story from you and I, in which we interview your old colleague and good friend, Brent Friedman, yeah. who was the co-producer of Dark Skies. And in the course of your Dark Skies launch, you, you guys both told this extraordinary story about how these two intelligence officers, men who purported to be from the Department of Navy Intelligence, came to your home at first and then to your Dark Skies production office. And at one stage, the guy wrote on a napkin what he described preposterously as the secrets of the universe, sound, light, and frequency. Now, Everyone, including me, my friend, wants to know what happened to the napkin. Okay. And, you know, partly um, that documentary uh, that Ross is referring to, again, if you just can remember need to know dot today, it's there. You can go there, need to know dot today, and you can watch it. Uh, the one thing about that is Ross, because this thing was made so quickly, Ross and I did not have final cut on, on how to uh, edit the, 
what actually finally aired. And so as a consequence, that little detail did slip by. And believe me, if you look at the comments, a lot of people were saying, okay, man, you, you talked about this, show us. So I'm going to tell you that, but let me just back up very quickly. Here's what happened. It's December. It's 1996. NBC is putting a show on called Dark Skies. I'm having a party at my house, 200 people. A guy shows up at the house, says he's from the Office of Naval Intelligence, talks to me, my partner, Brent Friedman, and uh, another producer, Brad Markowitz, uh, and, and Brent's wife, and uh, tells us that they want to help us with our show to get things right. Okay, well, with, you can hear Brent's version and my version in that documentary. At the end of this thing, though, the guy asked for a piece of paper. I remembered it as a napkin. Brent remembered it as getting a piece of paper from his wife off their checkbook. Uh, you know, that's what memory is sometimes. Those, but anyway, the guy takes a piece of paper and he starts writing on it. And he says, um, why don't you keep this for a few years? And uh, this may make more sense then. And, and he holds up this thing that looks like a mathematical formula. And he and we said, what is that? And he said, secret of the universe. I don't remember him saying secrets. I thought he said secret. See, that's what I'm saying. He said, secret of the universe, sound, light, and frequency. All right. So everybody's saying, great, show us the equation. Okay. So here is my best explanation of that. When this happened, um, I was, again, hosting a party out in my backyard. I didn't take possession of this piece of paper. Brent did. Brent took it with him. Um, he went back to where he was living and he put it in his safe deposit box as instructed. And to be honest with you, uh, I saw it with my own eyes. So did Brad, so did Brent, so did his wife, uh, and a couple other people. But, you know, the way life works is you get, you got a family, you got a job, you start paying attention to that. Dark skies got canceled. Brent and I moved on. Um, over the years, I would ask him about it. He would say, yeah, it's safe and secure. And a few years ago, I just said, you know, enough. I want to see it. I'm tired of this. Please take a digital photo and send it to me. I want to see it. And uh, I really put my own friendship with Brent on the line. I demanded to see it. And so he went looking for it. And then he, he looked in his safe deposit box and it wasn't there. And then he remembered that he had taken it out of his safe deposit box when they changed banks or something and he'd taken it home. So I said, look, man, you got to find it because, you know, it's, it's a quarter of a century. It's time for us to tell this story. So Brent has been looking for it and has not yet found it. It frustrates me as much as you, Ross, as much as anybody who's watching uh, that documentary, uh, all I can tell you is um, if I have to go up to Brent's house myself and go through it or get the FBI to go to his house, I, you know, they're not going to do that. But if I had to go look for it myself, I will do it because I just think you, 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 you realize this is going to spawn a whole new conspiracy theory, Bryce, that the, the men in black, the, the, oh, the Navy intelligence guys rifled the house and opened the safety deposit box and took the napkin. And I know. it's all been a massive cover up. I, I but know. You're adamant. You're adamant that this document was real. Oh, no. The formula no. that he wrote was real. I mean, yeah, there's absolutely. no doubt in your mind. Mm doubt in my mind. I was there. I saw him write it. I saw what it looked like. I think that the thing that's hard for people uh, to accept is that you would do, you would get something like this and you wouldn't instantly go, well, this is super important. I better hold on to it. But you have to understand that, over, you know, 
Brent and I were producing a show. We moved on. But at the same time, we thought, well, we'll put it in a safe place and someday later we'll address it because we weren't sure these guys were who they said they were. So if they were putting us on, we thought, why are we going to waste precious time looking into it? Look, there's one more bit of laundry before we go that I want to deal with, which is um, I, I'm gratified and indeed flattered and humbled by the response that both you and I are getting from our audience all around the world. Um, I, at the moment, though, am overwhelmed and quite emotionally and mentally exhausted from the volume of emails and messages that I'm receiving. Yeah. I, I tried to add them up the other day on the multiple platforms that I use, but I've got somewhere between 35 to 40,000 unopened emails and messages. The volume of information coming in the door is frankly, enormous. And I, I wish you and I had the resources to be able to investigate it as much as we'd like, Bryce, because it's quite exciting. I mean, there's some astonishing right. information, some astonishing informants coming forward. And all I would plead for is I'm gratified that people are contacting me, but please be patient. I've got some people who are furious with me because I haven't been able to respond to them and they don't appear to understand. I'm just one guy doing this on the back of an oily rag, you know, literally on the back of an envelope, right. mix, mixing my metaphors there. I don't have the resources. I don't have a paid staff. You and I aren't getting paid for doing no. this, by the way. No, we're doing we're this not. as a public service. And and frankly, I think we would like to talk to our audience about the fact that we'd like to become more professional. We'd like yeah. to upgrade what we do, wouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that is a great point. First of all, I feel your pain. Uh, 37, you know, when I get 100, behind 100, I'm like, okay, I... I'm just deleting them all because I, I gotta, I gotta get an empty mailbox. So I, I totally get that. It's overwhelming. Um, we did start need to know on the theory that if we build it, they will come. And so far, it looks like we were right. Not only does Ross have thirty-seven thousand emails sitting around his box waiting to be answered, but uh, you know, close to a million people watched our last version of need to know. So yeah, we are gratified, but we realize that you know, right now. Um, it's just basically two guys and and uh, our producer, Rich Johnson. And, you know, we're winging this part of it. And I think the, the message that we want to give people uh, who are watching and listening is that we're on it. Uh, we have now done the building. Uh, we have uh, in this latest documentary attempt um, something that we can show people. And I think our goal is to find a way to level up. Um, what exactly form that will take, uh, we're working on. But I think our goal is to get to a place where Ross doesn't have to face 37,000 emails by himself. Uh, I think we're getting to a place where we'd like to have uh, more professional help pulling us together uh, in, in doing this thing. And again, that's why I was so grateful to what Channel 7 did by just stepping in and going, hey, you know, we'd love to see... Uh, I mean, it's it's no secret that you and I are you and I are quite keen to interest Channel Seven, my bosses, or somebody in a TV series. I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd I'd love it. I mean, I'd love nothing more than kind of like a, a sixty minutes of UAPs where we can travel, go and meet people, and properly tell and investigate these stories. But at the moment, that's just a pipe dream. But it, I dream of having paid research staff who can actually process the information and do credit to the the wonderful people who are getting in touch. And I don't want to discourage people. I promise you, we're really keen. And I'm loving the information. But please understand, well, please be patient. And, and by the way, you just raised a really excellent point, though. 
buried in those 37, not buried there in those 37,000 emails and, and comments that we get are a lot of, uh, you know, attaboys, which we appreciate because like, you know, it's, it's hard work and we appreciate it. Uh, but also inside all that information is our cases, our explanations, our history, uh, just people holding us accountable, adding their story to it. And uh, as we, we go forward, we're going to find a way, uh, probably in television, I would assume some form of television, since that's what both of us have done with most of our careers. So we're going to find a way to hopefully up the game here. Um, and, and for those of you who have been with us since that very first one, that'll be an interesting uh, ride that you'll have taken along with us. But yeah, so listen, we need to get help. We'll get you some help, Ross. In the meantime, try not to lose too much sleep over this. <laughs> so I think that just about wraps us for this week, Bryce. Uh, it's been lovely talking and uh, exchanging views and uh, I hope we've been able to settle a few of the queries that we've had from our listeners and viewers. We'll be back another time soon with another episode of Need to Know. We can handle the truth and we'll see you next time.